Suzette Smith. I'm a guest host on Mormon Discussions Podcast. Welcome to another episode. Today I'm sitting down with MacArthur and Bethany Brady Spaulding. They are the authors of a book series called Girls Who Choose God. The first book is about women in the Bible. It's called Stories of Courageous Women from the Bible. The second book that just came out is called Stories of Strong Women from the Book of Mormon. So we're going to be talking about uh, what they did with this book, what the book's about, and I'm really excited to have uh, them both here. Before I introduce uh, both of them, I just want to talk briefly about the books and how I was introduced to them and what they've meant to me. And uh, MacArthur, I think, was the first person who approached me, uh, and then Bethany followed soon after to sell the first book, the Bible book, uh, Girls Who Choose God, at the Exponent Retreat. And so as soon as I saw the artwork and some of the uh, pieces of writing, I was sold and was very excited about this book. One of the things I've been most concerned about as a feminist in the Mormon church is how often we see women and how often we hear their stories. And there are so many great stories about men um, that we just don't often see the stories about women and there are just fewer. So to have books like this that like draw out these stories has been really meaningful to me as an LDS woman. So um, I'm going to go ahead and let MacArthur introduce herself first. If you could just tell us who you are, where you came from a little bit, and then we'll have Bethany speak and then we'll launch into some great questions. Okay. So my name is MacArthur Krishna and that where we come from has such a shaping influence on us. So I'm a product of West Virginia, BYU, Pioneer Stock, Washington, D.C., and now India. And all of those come together to make some of the of how I see the world. I'm a storyteller. I'm a river guide. I'm a mom. I'm a world traveler. I think in terms of plane tickets is the economy I use. So I'm Bethany Brady. I live in the funky, beautiful city of Richmond, Virginia. I work for a nonprofit. I lead a group in Richmond that uh, deals with food access and food justice issues, empowering low-income families in our community to access and enjoy healthy, affordable food. So I like to eat. And when I'm not eating, I write books, which is a lot of fun. And mother of three young girls, three fiery girls. And I have a lot of fun serving in the primary presidency in our ward and, um, that's been some of the inspiration behind our books as well. See, so we should have introduced each other because I would add to Bethany. The thing about Bethany is that every single place where she lives, she takes a look around and decides what needs to be done better. And so as, you know, over the decade or so that I've known her, every single place she finds herself in, she's always got some kind of project going to make the world a better place. It's amazing. Thanks. That's kind. Well, I'm impressed by both of you. Thanks for the introduction, and um, thanks for the beautiful work that you do. Let's start off with the first question, which is, why this book? Why Girls Who Choose God? Uh, what was the inspiration, and um, why did you decide to launch into it? So the story began 
when my oldest daughter, Simone, was not yet three years old, we were reading through a regular scripture, children's scripture book together. Uh, she loved books. She loved ideas. Um, she was really had a hungry appetite for knowledge and even spiritual knowledge. Um, but after we finished the book, she kind of looked up at me with puzzled eyes and said, Mom, where are the stories about all the girls? And even though she was so young, she hadn't even turned three years old, I was shocked um, by her question that she already noticed that she wasn't reflected in these stories. She noticed the discrepancies between boys and girls. I really thought to myself, wow, I don't think my mother ever asked that question. I didn't ask that question myself till I was in my 30s. But here is my barely three-year-old daughter who's already asking this question. She already sees these things. She's already concerned about these things. And that made me realize that Simone's generation is different. Um, I think they, they are going to demand a more gender balanced approach to sharing the gospel and learning the gospel. And so that's, that was the initial question that sparked this idea. Um, we need more stories about girls. So I am not a writer. I'm not a scriptorian and never wanted to be either. I am a mom and I went searching for a book to fill my daughter's needs and couldn't find one. And so just decided that one needed to be created. But that's where MacArthur steps in. Yeah, so each of us have different talents. My talent is in storytelling. Though my family, siblings, when they heard that I was producing books, just started to laugh because we all know in my family, in my clan, that I'm only maybe the third best storyteller in the clan. So that's my claim to fame, third best storyteller. But when Bethany came to me, I loved this idea that it was so important to be able to tell stories, to be able to learn these stories. And I think we have to recognize that it's not just this, that it's actually divinely known to be important. And so when I think about this and I think about the power of stories, it's not just empowering culture. It's not just empowering role models, but it's something that even God recognizes as crucial. And so when we think about the Book of Mormon, God actually sent them back to the city to get the records. He actually even commanded Nephi to kill to get the records. Like we have known that even though life is sacred, that these stories were important enough to act in that drastic way. And so when we think about stories in terms like that, it becomes more and more vital that we make sure that our girls and boys see these stories of women. Great. So we got to work. And you've created this what I call a beautiful work of art. And I do want to talk about the art as well, but let me ask one more question before I talk about the art. And that is when I started reading the book of Mormon book, particularly I was so moved. And the reason why I was so moved is the first couple of stories made me realize that those women are there. It's just like the two of you just took this lens and just like looked in there and just pulled them out because the stories of men in the Book of Mormon are so compelling and they're great stories and we just don't hear much about the women, we just gloss over it. One of the first two stories I'll tell the listeners out there is about Nephi's wife and the second one is about Nephi's, or the third one is about Nephi's sisters. And I've thought about Nephi's wife before because she has come into play um, and saves him a couple of times, but I hadn't really thought much about the sisters and how hard it must have been for them to choose to go with Nephi. And to see Bethany and MacArthur bring these two particular stories to life, I was like, oh, they are like pulling out these women, these beautiful women's stories out of the Book of Mormon, a book that I love. And that meant so much to me. And I would love to hear from both of you, like, what is it about this book that has meant 
a lot to you. How did you find these women, especially in the Book of Mormon book, but in both books? And, and um, so we were actually sitting in a meeting with Desert Book, and we were talking about the Old and the New Testament books, and we decided to lump them together into one volume because there wasn't enough women in the Book of Mormon to do an entire book. And this, to me, is such a testament to my own, um, I mean, it's a good, humble reminder, right? Because I had read the Book of Mormon over a dozen times. I thought I was familiar with those stories. And so when they said, there's not enough women in the Book of Mormon, I was like, you're right. There's only six named women in the Book of Mormon, three of which are actually physically in the Bible, but they're just recounted in the Book of Mormon. That leaves you with three women, one of which is a harlot, which means you're down to two named women. Clearly not enough to write the format of a Girls Who Choose God book. And so we nodded and said, yep, that's right, we can't do that book. So we worked on the Bible. And then the Bible got finished, and we were thinking about kind of the next volume and how are we going to do it. And frankly, Bethany and I started reading and paying attention and doing research and looking around, and all of a sudden, it hit me how ignorant I had been. I'd, I'd just been oblivious. And so when we actually got into it, we found there's over 80 women, either individuals or groups of women in the Book of Mormon, and women are mentioned over 150 times. Now, some of these mentions are just, you know, barely in passing. Someone got born. That doesn't give you a lot of room to follow the structure of the girls who choose God because we weren't interested in making something up. We weren't interested in extrapolating. We were trying to actually find moments where we could point to a choice, which means you have to have an action. You can't just say, we think the woman probably felt like this. You have to be able to point to something they physically did. And so Nephi's sisters is a great story because... When you're actually reading and paying attention, you see there's only two lines that mention what their choice was. But it actually tells you a lot about them. And so what we find out is that Nephi and his family have landed in the New World. In fact, I should say the sisters have landed in the New World with, you know, all of their brothers and family. See, again, that's my own default in how I talk about this. But the sisters had landed. Their family was fighting. God came to Nephi and said, you got to get out of there to save your life. you got to flee to the wilderness. Now, in the Book of Mormon, there's a lot of fleeing to the wilderness scenes. But in this particular instance, God told Nephi to take all those with him who wanted to go. And so Nephi lists out that Jacob and Zoram and Sam and his sisters all went with them. And he says, all those who came were those who believed in the warnings and revelations of God. And to me, that's stunning because all of a sudden we know that these women were believers, that they're willing to put their personal emotion for their family and all that had happened to them to the side and say, I believe this. And to leave the false tradition of following their brothers and to step the elder brother and to step into this new place. And I think it's just profound because to do that kind of, to make that kind of choice tells us a lot about who these women are. So I don't take umbrage with the fact that the Book of Mormon doesn't have a lot of named women in it. And that period of time, that was an appropriate way um, to to talk about women. In fact, even now when I'm in India, I'm actually not supposed to use my husband's name. It's one of the traditions there that you do not use your spouse's name. So it's these things are tradition. But it is now not appropriate to not acknowledge women's participation and power and righteousness and faithfulness. And so we have the opportunity to walk away from those same traditions and say the the 
Responsibility rests with me to make sure that these stories are known. The responsibility rests with me to acknowledge modern day women. And so the Book of Mormon is the Book of Mormon, and it's from a certain point in time. How we interact with it now and how we frame it is up to us. That was beautiful, MacArthur. Um, I would, I would only add, I think so many in our generation think of the Book of Mormon as completely void of, of women. And our hope with this book is that the next generation will just know and celebrate that there are a multitude of women in the Book of Mormon and they will know these stories and they will teach those to those older than them and they will grow up knowing that this is, you know, a, a book of scripture that celebrates strong, courageous women. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great addition because, I mean, think about it. I don't know about you, Suzette, but I and Bethany grew up with this, like, there's no women there. And we have the opportunity for a whole new generation to really see the Book of Mormon differently than we did. And that's been our approach in writing and all that we do as we've, as we've worked together to try to change how things are shared in the church. And um, we've adopted some wisdom from Socrates. And he mm-hmm. says, the secret of change is to not spend all of your energy fighting the old, but on building the new. And that um, has really resonated with both MacArthur and I. And that's why we think working with children is so vital. And um, it's these new, these new generation that are open to these ideas and who are receptive to them and that that's going to create the future. And um, so we can fight and we can kick against the old and the ways that we don't like and the things that we don't agree with, or we can invest all of our energy and creativity and passions and excitement into building the new. And that's what we feel like this book of Mormon will, will do. It will build a new generation of Mormons that know that women are strong and powerful and present and mm-hmm. active agents in God's work. And I think also because they see the stories that you've pulled out, their mind is then trained to look for those stories. And as you look for the stories, then you find women all around you in scriptures, in your own ward, uh, in, in church history that are meaningful to you. And then girls and boys, but girls particularly can find role models that, that resonate and speak with them. Well, and that's part of how we did this idea of choice. It was Bethany's brilliant idea to, um, frame this on the model of a choice and to ask the reader a choice at the end. And that's in part so that people are inspired by these stories, but also so we make them accessible. These women are, are doing great things, but they're not so far away that we each can't also make similar choices. And so when the story, each story has a question at the end, that question prompts that you too, as the reader, can say, wait a second, I can live this way. So you can both find role models and be inspired to act up to your own potential. Absolutely. And I think another thing that's key about the Book of Mormon volume is that even though many of these women are unnamed, even though we don't know a lot of details about them, I think the lessons that they teach us are profound, especially for right now. I think that we've reclaimed Soraya's story that, um, you know, she wasn't just a murmur, um, but she, I think at her essence, she chose to love unconditionally, no matter what her family members did, what they chose how they acted, how they hurt her, that she loved unconditionally. And I think all of us right now in our church today need to learn how to do that, to follow her her example and to love unconditionally. I think, um, like the story we mentioned earlier, Nephi's sisters choosing to break with false tradition. That's something that all of us need to learn how to choose to do. Um, the maidservant spy in her book, she chooses to speak out against wrongs. You know, um, Even though we have little information on these women, they have such made profound choices that we need to replicate. And I think that's really important. Let's talk a little bit about what, what brings these stories to life. And that is the artwork. And because this is 
an audio podcast, the listeners won't have the art in front of them, but all you have to do is go onto Amazon and look at the books and you'll find it. But the art is just gorgeous. And I would love to hear about the artist and how you chose her and anything you can tell us about the inspiration for her work. Um, well, Bethany knew uh, Kathy Peterson's daughter, Stara, and so she introduced me to her art. And when I saw Kathy's series um, called 12 Moons, it's a one woman for every month. I literally just looked at the screen, jaw dropped, and said, yes, this woman, please. <laughs> um, what we were looking for is that we didn't want um, cartoons. That's fine in their place. We didn't want something that was kind of frivolous. We wanted art. We wanted to show the nobility and the strength and the power and the elegance and the earthiness of these women. And I think Kathy Peterson's art is perfect for that. Um, so we approached Kathy and said, you know, we got this crazy project. We have no idea if Desiree Epic will do this, but here's what we're trying to accomplish. And she read the first manuscript, said, amen, I'm on board. And so she painted Eve before she even knew it was going to work, before she even knew that we were going to sell this manuscript, before it was going to come to life. I mean, she took an absolute leap of faith with us. And what was beautiful about the Eve is she actually painted it instead of with an apple, but with a pomegranate. And a pomegranate symbolizes that we, with our LDS Revealed Doctrine, see Eve differently than how Genesis, for example, portrays her. And so we see Eve's choice as courageous and bold and necessary and a progression. <clears throat> so this pomegranate is a way to kind of subtly indicate that there's a little bit of a difference in the story. Um, so when we came to Desert Book, we had both the manuscript and this first painting, and Desert Book immediately was said, oh my, why yes. Um, I mean, obviously, Kathy's art is so compelling. And then what's fabulous is that the church actually acquired 11 of the paintings from the first book. So every story has three paintings. There's a scene, a portrait, and then a resolution, kind of an action shot of what's happening. And the church came across this art and um, purchased 11 of the action shots. They're 24 inches by 24 inches, oil on mahogany. They bought the uh, art, and it's now hanging in the conference center, which is just stunning to see these bold, beautiful stories of the women um, get so much publicity, right? That um, everyone who comes there, a couple hundred thousand people every year, get to see what kind of stunning um, to hear what about these stories. And so for us, we're really excited because Kathy's leap of faith to kind of go for it with us has, has done well by her. So that's happy. To say that, um, and maybe we'll know by the time this podcast runs, that the second set of art um, from the Book of Mormon may end up at BYU, and so um, that could be super exciting. That's what's what's in the works right now. Okay, well, let's talk about Deseret Book and your choice okay. to work with Deseret Book, and uh, and how was it? What was your experience like? We decided when we began this that we wanted to share these stories as far and wide as possible. And we knew if we wanted to impact as many Mormons as we possibly could, we needed to go mainstream. You know, there were many, many publishers, even self-publishing we could do on the fringe. But if we wanted the stamp of approval, if we wanted this to be used in activity days, in primary, in Relief Society, in Young Women's, it needed to be, it needed to come from Desert Book. And they've actually been wonderful to work with. Our champion there, Lisa Roper, has, has really been phenomenal at they believe in this work they recognize this is the time they 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 understand the importance and the hunger that is out there and um it has been a great learning process for all of us to work together but um i would say macarthur and you can add your thoughts too but um it's been important for us to partner with desert book um 
to do this work. I would absolutely agree with Bethany. It has been lovely to work with them. I mean, it is a series of professional people who are using their talents to um, further God's work. And so um, what's interesting is I was one day looking through this, the list of people who'd worked on our book. And while there's a couple of men who are involved in it, and I don't want to shortchange them, the vast majority of people who've worked on these books have been women. And so we have graphic designers and layout artists and marketers and our champion Lisa and, you know, the vice president of product management. I mean, like there's this long list of women who've made these books come to life. And so that's amazing to me to see once again, how women using their talents can really make a difference in this world. So while Bethany and I and Kathy started the project, it took a whole team um, from Desert Book of mostly women to bring it to life. I feel like we've developed a lot of trust and a great working relationship with Desert Book. And after doing these two volumes of Girls Who Choose God about courageous women from the scriptures, um, they have been willing to work with us um, to do a story, a, a book on our ultimate female role model, Heavenly Mother. And we are elated that we are going to be able to tell the story of families looking at how it models our Heavenly Family and talk more about Heavenly Mother along with Heavenly Father's role in loving and leading the human family. And to us, it's just extraordinary. And that desert book um, has given us the green light to do that, that we think is just so exciting. That is really exciting to hear. And I had heard uh, rumors of that. So I'm glad that you brought it up on this podcast because I think that will be wonderful. And is the artist going to be the same for that book as well? We'll be using a different artist. Um, we hope to do another volume of Girls Who Choose God with church history and beyond. Um, and that will stay with Kathy Peterson. But this will be a different artist for a different different approach. Okay. Great. Um, in the Girls Who Choose God series, can you both tell me what feedback have you received from church members uh, or even feedback you may have received from members outside the church? I don't know how wide the the Bible book has spread to other religions, um, other Christian religions, but perhaps you can talk about that. But I would love to hear just the feedback you've heard from other people. It's actually been completely um, humbling and beautiful. Um, so I've just come on a month-long kind of book tour running around America, and um, just to see the myriad of ways the book is being used, to get emails from people and their enthusiasm, like what I'm finding is each place I was in had some sort of distinctive feel about it. Um, I gave a talk in D.C., and the first question was about policy, <laughs> about India's national policy. Um, but at the same time, there's also something very unifying in everywhere I've been. And one of the unifying factors is the hunger of women. They are hungry to know what their worth is. They're hungry to know what they can do, hungry to make something of themselves. Like they have been um, universally just compelling. It's been fascinating to, to hear. But what's beautiful is then they come up to me and they explain to me, we're using the book as activity days. We're using the book in Relief Society. We're using the book in Primary. Uh, one man has told us that he's a high councilman, and this year he decided to use one woman um, per talk. And so he has to give 12 talks in a year. He's using 11 of his talks from the women of the Bible um, because he felt it was so important that people hear about these stories um, of women uh, from a man. Um, not that he's the authority, but that he also sees the value of, of these stories. I had a bishop introduce me at a fireside where he said, women, we've been told to liken the scriptures unto ourselves, and women have a long track record of being able to do that with both men and women in the stories. And he said, we as men have very little practice 
and likening the stories of women to ourselves. So we need to pay attention. And he'd actually gone into the young men earlier in the day and said, this is not a fireside for girls. I expect every single one of you to be there. And so I was a little bit baffled because I looked down the audience and there was this, you know, row of press dressed, handsome, you know, teenage boys. And I thought, wow, like that's, that's unusual. But I found out later it'd come from this bishop really having the vision to understand um, that this was an opportunity for boys as well. I think overall, just hearing the feedback from people, the people who are on our Facebook page and the stories they tell us has been inspiring, humbling, just stunning, really. I would just add, in addition to all the myriad ways that MacArthur mentioned it's been used, to me what's so rewarding is to hear that it's not only learning about these courageous, strong women, but it's the gener- the discussion that it generates and with our questions they have sparked some great dialogue between the readers and their parents or the group that's reading it together. And I've had parents email me and say, I would have never known about the story that my child told me, or I would have never understood this, or I'm so grateful that you opened the door for us to speak about this. And and to me, that's so rewarding to feel like not only are we giving these new powerful role models, but we are helping to help, we are helping children reflect more on their own greatness and their own strength and their own courage. And that, um, we've facilitated some meaningful, valuable, important family dialogue. I think that's a a really strong part of the book. And then I think there's some kind of ripple effect as people kind of spin off from it, which is super fun to see. So we saw a YouTube video about some girls who were um, producing a movie um, enacting some of the stories from the book. Or we had a woman who said, you know, my girls were so excited by this book. My little ones, my two and three-year-olds wanted to do more. And so I went in and I traced the women. I made a coloring book of your women so my little girls could, you know, color women from the scriptures. Uh, there's a group of women who rewrote one of the primary songs to include more women from the Book of Mormon. I mean, I just think there's just been this surge of, like, this was just a very small catalyst to kind of um, – to unlock the dam, right? And there's just this, this rush of people who are so excited to find this resource and so excited to have this need fulfilled that it's just taken off and running kind of with a, a life of its own. It's super exciting. MacArthur has even seen furniture collaged with paintings of the women on it. The, the possibilities are endless. Those are those are great stories. And I know in my ward, I teach primary, I teach sharing time. And so I'll use the book sometimes and all the little girls and boys, we just have a lot of little girls in our ward. They'll say, we have the book in my house. And it makes me really happy that they, they recognize that they're excited about it. And I might want to check out this furniture. That sounds really interesting. <laughs> so tell the people. Oh, I've seen Christmas tree ornaments. I've seen bookends. <laughs> I've seen furniture. It's amazing what you can do with this art. Uh, so tell the listeners where they can get these books and what that would mean for the continuation of the series. Sure. You can get them on Desert Books website. You can get them on Amazon. I think Barnes & Noble even had the Bible volume. Um, I think those are the easiest way to get them. One thing I'd love to share with potential readers is that uh, for the first volume, all of our proceeds, our author's royalties, were donated to a remarkable nonprofit organization called Interweave. We felt like um, not only did we want the book to empower and strengthen women and men and girls and boys who read it, um, but we wanted it to impact women who would never see this book. And so we chose Interweave. They have a long history of designing programs to empower women with literacy and with entrepreneurial skills to have their own businesses and to support themselves. And um, we, we, they've worked domestically with marginalized groups. They work overseas in many different countries. We just received an email from their founder and director, Lynn Curtis. 
He's been working in northern Uganda, and there's been a civil war there for many years, and many women, hundreds of probably thousands of women were kidnapped by rebel soldiers. And many of these women are just being released and they are single mothers and illiterate and have absolutely no skills. And the funds from our Bible volume have gone to develop training for these women to start a new life and to get that message and to feel like, wow, all of us collectively, as we've all bought this book and we've all given this book and shared this book, we have made that goodness possible. And um, it's been really touching and beautiful to be able to do that. And um, now a portion of our proceeds um, from our Book of Mormon book are being invested in our own local communities, helping women and families um, here in Richmond, Virginia, and also in Fazabad, India, where MacArthur lives. Great. Thank you. And I hope uh, many of the listeners who don't already have this book will go out there and get it because it's all going to really great things. I think the other impact we need to mention here of buying the book is that um, – Desert Book is in a really tricky place because they're trying to do good things in the world, but they also have financial realities. And so this is not the church. I mean, if the church decides they want to produce a manual or they want to produce, you know, a scripture card, then they, they can do that. For Desert Book, they literally have to show that there's a financial model to make it possible. And so the, um, the popularity of the Bible, frankly, made the Book of Mormon possible. So you have to go through several different layers of committee approval at Desert Book, and one of them is the finance team. And they said, yep, we're, we're easy to sign off on the Book of Mormon because we know that the Bible um, did well. And so I think it's the same sort of thing that as people are buying these books, the Bible made the Book of Mormon possible. If the Book of Mormon does well, then they're willing to entertain church history. And that's not them being stingy. It's just the realities of running a business. And so for, for people to understand that when they buy these books, they're actually opening the doors to further stories and to um, further materials um, that can um, focus on women is, is something people should be aware of when they're making purchases. Thank you. Uh, now as we're kind of winding down, I am going to open this up a little bit and you can, you can expand this as, as much or a little as you want, but I would love to hear Beyond the book, how are you feeling about LDS women in general? How are you feeling about LDS women, where they are, how they're feeling, uh, the hope and power that they have or don't have in the LDS church? Do you have any thoughts on where things are, where you'd like them to go or not go? Um, anyway, I'm just going to open up that question a little bit and see what you have to say. Sure. Um, Bethany, why don't I say about my recent experience, and then you can talk about hopes for the future. Sure. Great. So, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, when I went through on this book tour, I found um, universal hunger, that women wanted to know what their worth is. They wanted to know what they could make of themselves. I mean, a woman of mother of five came up to me and said, I'm really busy. I know this is not quite the right time, but I want to know what are my talents and what can I do in this world? What can I do more? And it's not that children aren't um, beautiful and amazing and magnificent, but she knew that she had um, t- talents as well as the mothering that she wanted to use. And I think that kind of universal hunger is something we need to pay attention to. Women have a lot to offer and, in, uh, and can be an untapped resource. I think that's part of it. The other thing I learned along my way is that there is a woman that has been called to be um, on a special mission for the church. She put in her missionary papers. Um, she's a, a senior single sister. And she put in her missionary papers, and they actually called her 
to find out what women need and how the church can fulfill their needs better. And so I actually have a meeting with this woman in a week, and I'm super excited to go meet with her. Um, I've heard she's incredibly smart and gracious. I've experienced that just in our limited emailing back and forth. But I think that it's very um, – it makes me pleased that the church is in a place where they see changing and rolling dynamics and that they are trying. And I appreciate that understanding um, that there are things in the works that um, give energy. We also just had a meeting with the friend, with Jan Pembroke and her team, and it was absolutely inspiring. Those people are on top of it. I mean, they were bright and sincere and interested. Um, they've recently run an article in The Friend about that we know what our general authorities look like, but we don't always know a lot about our women leaders. So I have these flashcards with pictures and um, information about our women leaders. They talked about a transitional article for young women, um, girls from primary going into young women, about how they're uh, daughters of divine parents. I mean, they're just doing things that are um, adding robustness and richness in a way that's really inspiring. So for me, it's exciting to know that while not everything functions in a way that is how I would do it, I appreciate that I can see change. Um, anything the readership should know about women? And uh, this is your last chance to <laughs> make any final comments. Be strong. Be courageous. Shine. and see my path but now